Welcome to the Spirit of a Badass, where we celebrate stories of courage, hope, and resiliency. I'm your host, Alicia Jacobson. Hello to all my badasses. It is great to have you here with us today. I am so excited to share my guest with you today. Jamie and I met in Mike Pacquion's speech class a couple summers ago. And when I had the privilege of hearing her story and just a a little bit of her story, and I have it now, like full on, you can't see it, like full on body goosebumps and just chills. And just, I was so moved and like just emotional too. Like even now just talking about, like, I feel so much emotion and uh, mixed with like excitement for all the things that you do. So I am like, I know that the listeners today will feel the exact same way. So I'm really excited for that because just remembering that moment with you, I'm reliving it all over again. So I'm so excited. So please welcome Jamie Brucehoff. She's an award-winning LGBTQ plus advocate, a nationally known speaker and mother of three, including a transgender child. Her family and work have been featured by media outlets and organizations around the world including Disney, NPR, Good Morning America, USA Today, The Today Show, CBS News, Human Rights Campaign, The Trevor Project, and Gender Cool Project. With a master's degree from the Lutheran Theological Seminary Gettysburg and 20 years of experience working with youth and adults in and outside the church, she strives to create a world where LGBTQ plus young people thrive. She lives in New Jersey with her spouse and children, Her upcoming book, Raising Kids Beyond the Binary, Celebrating God's Transgendered and Gender Diverse Children, is available for pre-order wherever books are sold. And we will be sure and link that in the show notes. So please welcome, Jamie. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. And I know, like I said, like the goosebumps, for real. It's so crazy. Like I remember that moment sitting with you in that like breakout room Mm -hmm. and just fully experience that all over again. So I know our listeners will have that same experience with you today. Oh, thank you. Uh, So when we were talking, uh, when we were on here before we started, I was saying like, you are everywhere. So can you give us kind of a a day in the life? Like, what does it look like to, yeah, just to like do what you do and kind of tell us what it is that you do and give us an overview Mm -hmm. of what it looks like in your life? Yeah. Oh, that's a, like a big question. I feel like every day is different. So, I mean, I do, I, I'm an LGBTQ plus advocate. So I work with all sorts of places. I work with schools. I work with corporations. I work with faith communities, especially within Christianity, because that's a big part of my life. And I'm married to a Lutheran pastor and I um, help them understand how to create safer and more welcoming spaces for LGBTQ plus young people, especially. And so sometimes that looks like doing like Zoom trainings or consulting. I've been doing a lot more travel than I'm used to, which has like turned my family life a little bit upside down or like, you know, earlier this week, I was with the governor of New Jersey as he signed an executive order that supports healthcare for transgender young people and makes New Jersey a safe haven. So like every, just before we jumped on, I was like doing a media interview via Zoom. And so like every day is different. And then I'm juggling three kids and a life and all of those things too. Yeah. Um, So curious, what is like, what lights you up the most about those things? Because you do, you have all of these different things that you get to do in a day, like where, which part is, what part like lights you on fire? 
I love getting to have conversations with people who really want to learn and who want to do better. You know, I think so often with the LGBTQ plus community, like, I mean, even just saying that acronym, people get tripped up. Like it's a lot and people get overwhelmed, but overwhelmingly people want to do the right thing and want to be supportive. And so when I get to be in conversations, whether it's like a Zoom training or um, or in-person trainings, and people ask like honest questions and you see those ahas and those, oh, this isn't as complicated as I thought it was. And they know that they're going to leave from there and make a difference in someone's life. Like, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. And it sounds like you create such a safe environment for them to be able to show up with the, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I don't know how to ask these questions. I want to show up better, but I don't know how, because that can be a little intimidating. So that's really great that they feel so safe in that space with you. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people, like, I think we're so terrified of messing up. And what I start with all the time is that we're going to mess up. Like, deep breath, we're just all going to mess up. And so kind of setting the the bar there and knowing that it's not about being perfect or not messing up. It's about how we respond when we make a mistake. It's about being humble and learning and being grateful for the opportunity to do better. But it like it's not a personal attack. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're a bad person. And that like applies to like all of our life, like yeah. right? Whether it's with our partners or our kids or, or in our own journeys, like it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's just a learning opportunity. Yep. Just a learning opportunity. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So let's, let's dive in here. Take us to, because your life, you were not always in this sort of advocacy space. Take us to sort of how this bloomed, like take us to that moment. It's probably not a moment. It was moments, I'm sure, but take us there. Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) a long story short on some level, like I feel like giving birth to my firstborn child changed my life. And I think that's true for a lot of people that have kids, but my, so when my daughter was born, um, we said everyone, we thought she was a boy, you know, we said, it's a boy. And we knew herself to be a, her to be a boy. And we were just doing that thing that all new parents do, trying to figure out what it means and how to keep this small thing alive and, and get through the day to day. And she came, her name's Rebecca. That's what we call her now. And she's been Rebecca for eight years, but she came out of the womb demanding her voice be heard or no one was going to sleep again. Like we had to follow her lead. Like we, we read all the parenting books. We asked all the advice and within like a matter of weeks, we threw them all out because we just knew if we were going to survive this, if we were going to sleep, if she was going to survive this, we just had to follow her lead. And that informed our parenting journey every day since like, and, and with my other kids and with um, everything about her. And so that was like a really solid foundation. And as she got older, she gravitated to typically feminine things. She loved pink and purple and sequins and sparkles. And that was all fine with us. We didn't like at no point was I was like, oh, you must be a girl. <laughs> that didn't even enter my mind. Um, I didn't I didn't really even know what it meant to be transgender then. We said colors are for anyone. Clothes are for anyone. You can be any kind of boy you want to be. 
And it wasn't until a couple of years later, as she got older, around six, seven, eight, that we started to realize she was in a lot of distress around what it meant to be a boy in the world and about gender expectations. And there was some anxiety that was bubbling up. And and so we were just like, it's hard to not fit in the box. Like, again, we assumed like this was about being a boy who wasn't like other boys and that was okay. But by the time she was seven, we hit kind of a crisis point where she was in some pretty deep anxiety and depression and nobody prepares you for a seven and a half year old who wants to die. Nobody prepares you for a seven and a half year old who is a danger to herself and the people around her. And so I guess that's the next big moment where it really, where we had to figure out what that meant and just, I mean, Nothing else mattered. It was just keeping her safe and keeping everyone around her safe and loving her and and getting her through that. And so she wasn't at that point saying like, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. She was just in this deep distress. And so it was through um, using all of the resources we could find. It was through reading all the books and counseling and support from our family doctor and discovering some like underlying health issues and nutritional changes that changed her, her mental health for the better and all of these pieces of the puzzle. And eventually, when we were able to pull her back from the literal and proverbial window ledge, she had some space to unpack her identity. And so as this crisis of depression and anxiety kind of receded, she was coming and going, I'm not sure I'm a boy. And the day she learned the word transgender kind of changed everything. She um, had been wearing like, she was wearing all girls clothes, head to toe pink and, and had been for months and it was winter and it was going to be my middle kiddo's birthday party. And he was having a swim party. And there was this moment where she went, mom, what am I going to wear? And I said, Oh, what are you going to wear? And so I went through all the options. I'm like, we can find you a pink rash guard. We can find you pink swim shorts. Um, we can, uh, we can do all the things. I mean, to be clear, I was like, today you're going to wear what's in your closet because we were practical too. And in doing that, I said, uh, let's Google. Like I, so I Googled gender nonconforming swimsuit and there was nothing then. If you Google that now, there's a lot more options. And when I did, we stumbled upon the acronym LGBT. And I said, hey, do you know what these letters mean? And she said, no. Now, like our family had always been a family that said love is love. Like we had rejoiced with our young children when the Supreme Court marriage equality decision was made. And like they knew you can marry anyone, but never heard the acronym. And so as I went through the letters and I got to the T and I said, this is what it means to be transgender. She went, oh, maybe that's what I am. And I said, oh, maybe that's what you are. And so that really, the journey just unfurled from there. And so six weeks later, she went out into the world as Rebecca for the first time. And that changed everything. You know, she was suddenly happy and confident and no longer having to pretend she was someone she wasn't. And so that journey and um, helping everyone around us go on that journey with us, you know, supporting our family, our friends, our church, the school, and those those circles of advocacy just got bigger and bigger. And suddenly I was like, oh, I kind of do this for a living. <laughs> I probably should get paid for it because being a full-time volunteer isn't working. And so I still do a lot of volunteer, but that's how it kind of became that this is what I do in the world. Yeah. How did those, because it's sort of, you created this foundation to begin with. You already had this foundation of, you said, love is love. 
but you have this sort of outside, you said like it, it kept expanding. Like how did that go? Because that can be a really hard and tricky space to navigate because you're not only navigating your own family transitions and changes, but you're navigating in emotions. You're holding up other people's expected like emotions and navigating all of these things. How did that go? Yeah, it was a, it was an adventure. We think of a lot of our life as an adventure, but I mean, what we found was that people didn't necessarily understand, but in knowing and seeing Rebecca, there was something that was very clear. You know, there was this happy, thriving kid. And so for instance, at church, my past or my spouse was pastor of a small congregation in a rural conservative part of New Jersey, which I know New Jersey doesn't sound rural or conservative, but we have those spaces. And we didn't know how our church would respond. Like this was big news. This was totally new to them. And so we put some boundaries in place. First and foremost, we said, listen, you don't have to endorse this. You don't have to agree with us. You don't have to run out raising, waving transgender pride flags, but we need you to use her name and pronouns and you can have all the questions you want but you can't ask them of her and you can't ask them in front of her. And so we put this like bubble of protection around her so that then we could help people around us walk on that journey. And the first Sunday that Rebecca showed up at church as herself, there was this one person where I was like, if there's going to be a problem, it's this guy. He had an opinion about everything and everyone on his Facebook page knew it. Um, He was just really vocal and, and, and really conservative, you know? Uh, And so Rebecca showed up at church that day and we got through service and afterwards, you know, my spouse shakes everybody's hands on their way out. And I watched this guy make a beeline for my spouse and I'm going, okay, deep breaths, like just terrified of what's going to happen. And he said, listen, I don't understand this whole transgender thing, but she used to hide behind you and refuse to say hi to me on a Sunday morning. And today She ran up to me, twirled in her dress, and gave me a high five. What more is there to know? And that's the foundation for everything we do. What more is there to know? There is a happy, thriving young person in front of us who is who God created her to be from our theology and and gets to go and be herself in the world, and that makes the world a better place. Yes, thank you. And I think that was the... that was the story. And I, I, it's, I get lost for words with this because is you have that sort of like, hold your breath. What am I going, what am I walking into? What am I, what, what's going to happen here? And then to see that, like the beauty in that and like him noticing she twirled, she, she's not hiding. She's here. That's, that's so wonderful. That is so wonderful. So tell me what lessons, and there's a lot here, what, what sort of lessons did you learn throughout your journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think from the moment Rebecca was born, like learning what it meant to love the person in front of you for who they are and not what you thought they were or what you expected them to be. And that lesson started from the screaming child who didn't do anything according to the baby books all the way to her saying, like, I'm a girl. This is who I'm meant to be. And it continues, like, as she navigates the world on her own terms. And as my other kids do, like, it's a lesson that she taught us, but it impacts 
everything I do. We put so many expectations on people, whether it's related to gender roles or relationship or society or whatever it is. And so really just knowing that when we can pull away from those expectations, we can be in more authentic relationship with people. And then I think the other thing is that being your fullest self in the world makes the world a better place. And so my daughter has inspired me to be more myself. You know, I came out publicly as bisexual in my late 30s as we were on this journey, because at some point in doing this advocacy work with her and I'm talking about authentically showing up as yourselves, I realized, oh, like, I'm not bringing my full self to the table, like, because I'm married to a man and people assume I'm straight and that's easy, but this is part of who I am. And so she inspired me to share that and and kind of claim that part of my identity in a different way. And, and also to like break down those boxes of gender. Like now I I use pronouns that are both she, her, and they, them, because they both feel great to me and just kind of remind me that I don't have to fit in this tiny box that the world gave me. Okay. Thank you. And like you said, that can apply to so many different things, showing up in your authentic skin and who you are, because I know I work with so many people who they're hiding those those spaces and it causes such that angst, that turmoil, that that hiding inside, but then physically hiding, like really hiding, you know, when you're like you said that she would hide behind. And then when when she showed up as her full self, she was no longer hiding. And a lot of times that's what people do when they're not showing up authentically. They're they're hiding and breaking those those boxes and creating those connections that People fear those, but once they actually show up and kind of get over that fear, they're so welcomed and loved. And the the bonds that they create after doing that are, are so much stronger. Um, and they just feel so deeply seen when they show up that way. Yeah. And I think we can we can get this idea in our head that we're selfish for doing this work to be more authentically ourselves for taking time for ourselves for, you know, it can feel like navel gazing to like do the internal work, but it's, it's not selfish. And even if it was like, please do selfish things, you should absolutely do selfish things. And what I've learned is that this is the farthest thing from being selfish because you, what the way you show up for other people changes entirely. You make room for other people to show up fully as themselves when you show up fully as yourself. And that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And yes. So when you, so, and that is, that's why I'm here. Like, that's why, because by you showing up, people will hear this and it's like, Oh, I can, I can do that too. And that's something that people don't always realize that by lighting their own, like letting their own light shine, they give other people the permission to have their light shine. And then we have this beautiful glowing light everywhere. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. All right. So you kind of already said like you, you had, you, you already had this foundation of, you know, love is love and you already had this. Some people don't have this. What is one message or piece of advice that you would like to give to people who maybe are not coming from this space where they're just being like 
one, maybe they don't have the understanding that you already had, but maybe they don't have the community that you have either. What is one piece of advice or some a message that you would like to share with them? I think there's power in just listening to people's stories and getting to know people for who they are. Um, we have all these kind of ideas and at this moment in time, like I, I had like, it's also politically charged. There's this idea that this is right and this is wrong and, and I'm over here and you are over there and that doesn't serve anybody. And so I know like Brene Brown says, it's hard to hate close up. So move in close. And so I think that's what I encourage everybody to do, regardless of how right you are about whatever idea you think you have, whatever side of the aisle you're on, just move in close and get to know people and listen to their stories because there are real human beings behind what we so often talk about as issues. And that you don't, we all want the same thing. Like I am raising kids who I want to be functioning human beings, to contribute to society in a positive way, to be happy and healthy and independent and all of those things. And like, I think most parents want that. And sure, maybe we go about it a little differently. And sure, maybe my framework that I came into this was different, but I think we all want to get the same place. And so putting that kind of as the goal and understanding that there's more that we share in common than we don't. Thank you. What about for maybe a parent who is in your same shoes and, but in, in the beginning stages, or maybe they're starting to sort of like notice like, Hmm, something, something is different here. Something, something isn't, as I think it is. And I'm just noticing like maybe it's the language that their child is using or maybe a family member. How can they, what what advice or kind of insight do you have for them? Take a deep breath. <laughs> like just start with that. I mean, I think this all feels so like I can feel it in my body even when I just think about it. Like it feels so big and scary. And I want people to know that your kid, your loved one, whoever it may be is going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. You're not alone in this. There are families like mine in communities all over this country, um, in all kinds of communities, and that look all kinds of ways. And you don't have to do it alone. There's support. Reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to organizations. There are, you know, community support, local places. PFLAG is a wonderful organization that has local chapters. Don't do it alone. And it's okay to be scared. Like, you know, new things scare us. But don't put that fear on your kid or the person you love. Find the people that you can process with because you're going to have a lot to process. Uh, If you think about the circles of grief or that model where you put the person who is experiencing a loss right at the center um, and you process out and support in. And so I kind of use that model and say, let's put are move it away from grief, but put the, you know, the young person or the adult at the center of it that is experiencing this and support in process out, have all your feelings and go and find your close friends and find a therapist and find support people and um, share that, but give your kid or your loved one that bubble of support that says, I see you. I'm here with you and I'm going to love you on this journey. And we're all going to learn from it. 
I love that. I love that support in process out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And putting them in that sort of bubble of like surround them with that love and that support for them. Thank you. Okay. This is going to go a little meatier here. And this is my own. I had messaged you and said, is this okay? Because this is something that I personally struggle with. And I struggle with because not that this affects, this is not impactful, like straight in my, in my house. However, I have this, like this piece inside of me that is just this strong advocate for people who others kind of come at for zero reason other than I don't even know what it is. I I cannot understand it. So as a person of Christian faith, when I see people of faith attacking people of different communities, it is very hard for me. And especially in, like you said, like this climate that we are currently in, how do you, how do you stay strong in your faith when you have these, I mean, quite literal, like these attacks coming from people of that faith. Mm-hmm. That's something that I struggle with. So I would really love to hear how, how you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something that I navigate daily. I think there's this, there's this call to be like, well, I'm not that kind of Christian or not all Christians. And um, I think it's why the work I, I do the work I do so much in faith spaces because people of faith continue to do the loudest and most significant harm to this community, personally and politically. We hear from so many people that their their parents rejected them because of their faith. They their communities rejected them because of their faith. And I I mean That's not the faith I know. I mean, God calls us to love. God calls us to work for justice. That's, that's, that's the gospel in its essence. And so I want, I urge people of faith to be boldly, loudly, and joyfully celebratory of this community because there are so many really loud voices doing harm. And I want parents with LGBTQ plus kids to know that they don't have to choose between their faith and their child. They don't have to choose between their faith and their child. They might have to choose between their child and their church because the church is an institution and institutions. It's human. Like we do harm. We mess up. We make mistakes. And sometimes we make really big mistakes. And so there's, there's people that are using um, faith as a weapon against this community that are saying God does not make mistakes, as if that's um, a reason to say that who my kid is isn't who she should be. And I think God doesn't make mistakes, and God created her to be exactly who she knows herself to be. And so when I talk about my actual faith and what I know about the gospel and who Jesus was and what we're called to do, like none of that is incompatible with who my family is and what we do in the world. In fact, that drives it. Like we are called to care for the most vulnerable, those on the margins. That's what Jesus did. And so I stay strong in my faith because that's my faith. I work relentlessly against institutions and people connected to them that do harm, regardless of who they say they are. Beautifully said. And that, that hits that sort of, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that like that, that choosing between your child or people you care about, even if it's not your child and your faith versus your child or people you care about and the church, like that sounds so simple and it's not like choosing that you're going to care about your faith and people you care about in opposition to the church you've grown up in is hard. And that brings up a lot of feelings. And that's, that's, that's just ongoing work of saying that, that who this church is and the church I've known and loved is maybe not who I understand myself to be or my faith or God to be anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like the, you know, as you evolve as a person and it's sometimes you outgrow things, sometimes it no longer fits. And yeah, that's something I've never considered is maybe um, if you're in this position, the, that, that institution, that church that maybe you grew up in, maybe, maybe that no longer fits and maybe it's a different space would be more fitting for who you are and who you've grown into be. All right. Thank you. All right. We are going to, we're going to switch this right here. Uh, last question, share a life hack or something that has helped you save time, energy, or resources. Okay, so something super practical and simple is that I've been traveling more, which is new to me and being, you know, someone who travels frequently and a very simple life hack. And this is not news to many, many people, but it's new for me is that I've bought two of everything so that I don't have to fully unpack my suitcase and repack all of my toiletries and my makeup and all of those things every time I have to pack. And so like, figuring out my household and raising kids and and me being gone more and working more has been like, just turned everything topsy turvy. And this is one thing that I just don't have to think so much about because it's all packed and ready to go. Like not my clothes, but all the other extras. Yes. So that's like a super simple. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I've never heard of that before. I don't travel much, but I can see how that would be very helpful. That's great. Yeah. And it saves time. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jamie. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for you being here and sharing your story and just, you're just a wealth of knowledge and, and hope for people um, and kind of lighting the path. You're taking your light and you're shining it so that other people can, can follow and follow you and follow in that lit path. So they feel safe and comforted and like there, there's somebody who has done it before them. So they can just kind of have a knowing of here's what I can also do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for putting your light in the world. It brings me joy all the time. (laughs) I love it. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Spirit of a Badass is a Lit Path Studios podcast and is produced by Jamie Gale and Alicia Jacobson. Music by Shane Ivers. We'll be back with another inspiring interview. Until then, keep your spirits high and your energy badass.